This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Hello, Casey Pedro. Hello, Jordan. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for uh, coming on the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Uh, before I kick it off and introduce you, just um, you know a little bit about what this is. I'm writing a book called Business Jiu-Jitsu, and I'm conducting these podcasts for research into the book. And the whole concept of the book is that the principles that we learn in martial arts are so transferable to the business world. And so much of what I've you know, learned over the past 11 years of training in martial arts and over my career, I've found that uh, when I've had these breakthrough moments or things that I've learned in jujitsu and in all martial arts, because I've also trained in judo, although jujitsu is really my, you know, my heart and soul, but I, I love judo. Uh, it's so perfectly transferable to everything we do on a day-to-day -day basis in our life and also in, in martial arts. So before we get into that, let me just introduce you. You're Casey Pedro. You are a judo black belt. You're a lifelong martial artist. You, um, you are starting a business right now called The Crawl Program, which we'll talk about. Uh, you work in a family business at the Judo Pedro Center, uh, teaching martial arts and judo. Uh, you are an employee at Fuji Sports, and we can, I'd love to pick your brain on that a little bit. But, uh, and, and you have grown up in a martial arts and business household, watching your father, who is a contributor to this book and to this podcast, Jimmy Pedro, who is an Olympian, uh, the owner of Fuji Mats and uh, partner at Fuji Sports. And so you have witnessed firsthand what it takes to be a champion at the highest levels and also run a successful business. I too work with my father uh, in our real estate business. And then in my clothing business, I work with my sister. So I, I run th those two businesses, but I get to work with lots of different families. So welcome to the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Thank you for uh, coming on. Thank you, that was a great introduction. <laughs> Hit it on the head, but uh, yeah. Good, very good. Well, uh, I guess let's just jump right into it. I mean, how did you get started in martial arts? Being you know, the daughter of an Olympian, I imagine it must have been pretty early. Yeah, I mean, ever since I can remember, um, I mean, my dad was trading before I was even born. So I was literally born into it and watching him going to training every morning, um, staying with my grandparents during the day when my mom worked. My dad was always a judo. Um, he taught later in the evenings as well. So I think I picked it up around five years old, um, between five and six, maybe. At the time, we didn't have any kids' classes, so it was one huge class. I was with 50-year-old wow. men, and it was just a different experience than what we have today. Um, but I remember starting really, really young and just always having it in my life. Um, I didn't start really like competing and taking it seriously until I was probably around eight years old. Um, mm -hmm. We travel a lot with my family, my two brothers. 20 and 22. They are yeah. 20 and 22. Um, yeah, we grew up on the mats together and um, we all competed together, traveled with my dad to all the different training camps and um, tournaments. We traveled all over the country and internationally with him. He'd be coaching clinics and it was just always a huge part of my life. I knew waking up, going to school, doing my homework and going to judo. That was how <laughs> it was growing up until I, you know, took on some other sports, but always a big part of my life as a kid, especially. Um, what other sports were you playing? Um, when I got into 
I want to say middle school, I started playing softball more seriously. Um, I played softball and ice hockey all throughout high school. Uh, when I went to high school, I kind of got away from judo for a little bit, the sport um, in a competitive way. I got away from it just because I wanted to try new things. You know, it was always a part of my life. So I wanted to see what other things were out there that I would enjoy. Yeah. Um, and I just loved sports. So I love doing a bunch of different things at the same time. Yeah. I grew up in New York, in the New York City suburbs on Long Island. And I didn't know that women played hockey until I went to boarding school mm -hmm. in Massachusetts. I went to a school called Cushing, which I don't think is too far away from where you grew up. And they had an incredible girls hockey program and guys hockey program. And uh, I was mm -hmm. like, girls play hockey? But uh, I learned <laughs> And uh, many of the girls that were a few years younger than me, uh, they were Olympians themselves. And uh, a few oh, of the wow. girls, I, I was older than them, but I remember them very fondly. And they had incredible careers playing for the, the US, U.S. Women's Olympic team, ultimately winning gold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, well, doing judo in general, practice you're practicing with boys and girls right like yeah. everyone goes to practice together it's not specific on whether you're a male or female so growing up i always was with my brothers so i told my dad i don't want to play softball i want to play baseball i want to play t-ball with my brothers so i played on the boys teams for baseball up until i was at that age where they said you know you probably should go over to softball same with ice hockey i played on an all boys team up until i was like maybe eight years old nine years old but yeah. I was always around boys and I think that's because of doing martial arts and being so comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until later I went on the girls teams, but yeah, yeah that was always, always a thing to do with my brothers. <laughs> and so are you, are you, are, I didn't catch where you are. Are you the oldest or the youngest? I'm the oldest of four. So I have two brothers wow. who are close to me in age. I'm 24 years old and um, my sister is 12. So there's a big gap between her and I, it was 12 years. So she wasn't really in the picture when we were growing up and doing sports together. Yeah. Kind of having to do it on her own. But um, yeah, it was always me and the two brothers growing up. So I'm trying to do some simple math in my head. You're about 24. Do your dad won silver at the 96 Olympics? Was My dad won bronze at the 96. Yeah. Um, he went to 92, 96, 2000, and 2004. Yeah. He won bronze in 96 and 2004. Yeah. And my sister wasn't born until 2008. <laughs> wow. Isn't that amazing? Oh, yeah. I have all these accomplishments. Like, I have a two-year-old son. And I think about yeah. all the things that I've done even before he was born. It's just, it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. And now my wife is pregnant again. Uh, we have another oh, baby. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you so much on the way uh, in April. So in April she'll be due. And it's just so funny that mm -hmm. I've had this whole career in business. Life. And I've been living my life and, and they're just about, you know, starting out theirs. But you were, you must have been uh, just a few years old when your dad won the bronze. Yeah. Well, I was there at yeah. 96, newborn. I was born in yeah. June and then the Olympics were, I think, back then in July or um, July, August. So I was there as a one month old, <laughs> a witness, I don't remember. I see pictures of him like holding me after and stuff, but, yeah. um, and then 2004, we actually didn't all go. We all stayed home. My dad went, um, yeah. they're just one of us, <laughs> but to go to Greece. So, um, I remember just, it was always a thing where my dad would call my mom and I'd hear through that because back then we didn't have, you know, everything available 
on the internet and on our phones and I was so young. So my dad would always have to go to a pay phone or go find something to call my mom to let him know what's going on Yeah, uh, to let him know. So that's how we found out when I was a kid and I was like, Oh, dad won again. I didn't really understand what it was <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah. Well, what was it like growing up in a house, you know, where the, the, the basically like the job was kind of sports and martial arts and, were you, did he have high expectations for you on the competition circuit? Was he tough on you? I, I think I remember reading some crazy things about your grandpa being extremely oh. hard on him. <laughs> yeah, my grandfather is the, the one that's going to tell you no BS, like be all over you on stuff. Yeah. Um, my dad, I don't want to say was easy on us. He was, he was more of someone who said, as long as you're trying your hardest at everything that you do, you know, he didn't care whether it was judo or another sport. Um, he kept us in judo when we were really young, just because he believed in what it instilled in you. Mm -hmm. And then you could take those skills anywhere, like you're saying, to business, to whatever you want to do. It doesn't have to be the sport. Um, growing up, I think the pressure that my brothers and I put on ourselves was definitely on our own. You know, it was more of this like fear of what other people would think, just because he's my dad. And, you know, you'd think like, Oh my God, people are talking like, oh, I'm going to beat Jimmy Pedro's daughter when it really didn't matter. Like I was an 11 year old kid, um, but it was just all pressure we put on ourselves. And I think that like my dad just kept us going with every sport that we did and was always supportive of anything we chose to do. Um, but judo was just always a thing that was there and available at all times um, yeah. to even fall back on, you know? You could always do, I think that's the case for most dojos, jujitsu, judo, whatever it is you can go off and do another sport or do something else and then come back to that club and they'll welcome you no matter what level, you know, no matter how much time you took off, you don't have to try out and make the team. You just come back and do it. And so any pressure you put on yourself is it's yourself doing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's an, it is an interesting sport in that way that you need your team, you need your teammates to train, but it is ultimately when you get up there, you're up there by yourself and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you disappear and I had years where I was training, where I was on and off, mostly in my, in the mm -hmm. early mid years, um, been incredibly consistent over the past six or seven years or so. But, uh, and I just remember my sensei would always say, if you leave in good standing, you can always come back. And mm -hmm. that was one of his lines. Exactly. And then the other one was when the student is ready, the teacher shall appear. And you just, you know, this, but, but most true. people, yeah. Most people, when they fall off, they do fall off for good, which is one of the tragic parts of our sport as they, uh, you know, in the martial arts community, they just, they disappear, they come in consistently and all of a sudden they're just gone. Well, cause it's hard, right? Like, you know, the shape you have to be in for something like martial arts, especially judo and jujitsu. Yeah. It's intimidating going back at first. Cause you know, like I haven't taken a fall in a long time. I don't know if I'm ready to take a fall today. You oh know, my I don't know if I'm ready to get thrown into the floor 10 times. My body's so soft from taking time off, you know, like it's a real thing. Yeah. And I think that's why so many people, when they stop, they, they're intimidated to go back. A hundred percent. It took me a long time to uh, flatten my ego enough to understand that that mm -hmm. was the reason I didn't want to go back. I would always make an, some kind of excuse. Like I was too busy. I had, I was growing my businesses. I had to go on a date. I had just all these things happening in my life. And I would be like, oh, well, I want to go back. I want to go back. As the weeks and the months piled on, then you're scared to go back. 
Yeah. And you have to have that talk with yourself and say, it's not that you don't, you're not just going back. You are ter terrified of getting thrown. Being thrown is one of the most uncomfortable feelings you could have if you don't know how to fall properly. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I went through that in, in college, especially. Like being nervous to go back. It was, it was and especially hard. at your the, the kind of level that you've been surrounded with. Um, falling, I mean, it's a perfect metaphor for business, right? Because we do fall all the time yeah. in business. We fall flat on our face. We fail. We, we start something. It doesn't immediately have success. And you have to have that same talk with yourself and say, you know, am I going to keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward until I make this happen? Or am I going to just give up? And sometimes mm -hmm. it's okay to give up and pivot and move in business and, and life and anything else. But um, if it's just a matter of the fear or the embarrassment of that fall, then you have to get, you know, get your ass up and get back to back, 100%, to, back to training. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's something my dad push pushes at our dojo with every athlete. You know, I think some people who aren't used to being at our school come in and are a little shocked at that, that my dad is so, when you fall, you get right back up quick, right? Like it's not, you fall, you stay down and you kind of roll over and slowly get up. You know, that's showing your opponent you're already beaten. You know, that's just the mental game is over. It's over. You've shown them that you don't have the strength to get up right away and get right back in their face. And that's something that he's instilled in me that if I fail, if I make a mistake, okay, I'm going to win. It doesn't matter. You know, I get up and I try to win again and again and again. And that's what judo teaches me. Um, we do that at every camp. We take a hundred falls sometimes, you know, there's, there's everyone training for the world camp and everyone has to go out just to take falls. Not even, you don't get to throw, you just take falls. Yeah. And that's really unique in a sport. I don't think there's many sports that you do that and you get used to doing that. Yeah. It's, um, it hurts. You know, I'm so happy to hear you say it as a black belt and a lifelong <laughs> practitioner because, you know, when we cross train in judo for jujitsu and it's a part of our sport, but it's not the, 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 it's like a cousin, you know, people who are in martial mm -hmm. arts, get it. it's very hard for my friends and family who don't, who are, don't understand the difference between judo and jujitsu. But when we do start off practice, I'm like, okay, today we're going to be doing throws. We're like, okay, we're going to work. Soto Gary, and I know I'm going to be taking those falls. It's like butterflies, you know, tingling down my whole body yeah. until, I, until I hit the mat for the first time and get those cobwebs out. Right. And you get, you get those out. It, it doesn't hurt. It's so weird how it works. You know, like if your body's used to taking falls and you do it all the time, it's almost like one, you push through that mental barrier, but two, your body hardens to it. There's a flow to it. And, you know, you get in that flow and if you're consistent, it's great. It's when you're inconsistent that it challenges you so hard going back. And that's what's intimidating, yeah. um, especially training with people who are at a high level. And I didn't have aspirations to go to the Olympics or to compete at that level. Yeah. So for me, like, honestly, and it was intimidating sometimes, you know, because I just I didn't have that hunger to do those take judo and um, to that level, to that high of a level. I'll never forget one of my first judo clinics I took. This was um, almost 10 years ago, or maybe even a little bit more. Uh, do you know Shintaro Higashi? Have you ever come across Shintaro? 
Yeah, he actually just got hired by Fuji Sports, so I'm working oh, really? with him right now. It's so funny. Like last week, that's so funny you mentioned that. Yeah. So, yeah. so I remember he came to my dojo to do uh, to do. I had to look up his last name because I didn't want to botch it because I brought it up with your dad and I thought <laughs> I botched his last name. But so Shintaro came to my dojo and ran a clinic, and I had o- I had only been taught from my sensei, who is also very high level judo. I believe he's a judo black belt as well, and he's friends with Shintaro. And I'll never forget when he was doing his demonstration, he threw one of our coaches. We had very low ceilings. And the soles of my coach's feet skimmed the the drop ceiling. (laughs) And it was like the hardest hit I'd ever seen. And I was like, oh, God, this is just burnt into my head and my, and my, it's crazy. And I haven't been very blessed to have some really high level judo instruction. Uh, do you know, uh, Harry and Gary St. Ledger, the, the twins? Oh yeah. So, yeah. Uh, especially Harry before he moved out to uh, Albuquerque to be one of the coaches at Jackson Wink, he used to teach a couple classes a week at my dojo. And my sensei mm-hmm. would often say, you don't know the gift I'm giving all of you because you have yeah. Olympic level judo instruction here. And we wouldn't get that many people that would show up to their classes. And I remember him very vividly saying like, they're not going to be here forever. You have to you have to learn this technique while you can. And then mm-hmm. he prophesized it and Harry moved away. And I believe Gary opened his own school. And all that early judo training, like I really think it kind of set me apart from a lot of like just the jujitsu guys who never got that kind of training. Oh yeah. So hundred percent. I see it. We have a jujitsu school downstairs at our dojo. And sometimes the guys will come up and, and watch the yeah. judo and they're like, Oh, this is what we're missing, you know, but they're like, I don't know if I want to get involved in this. It seems a little much. There's this guy, this, this past week at the Pan American championships for the IBJJF, the international Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. He won, um, he was double gold in the blue belt level, but he's like Mm -hmm. this massive human being and he's a judo black belt. And now he's starting the process over of getting his jujitsu black belt. He was also like a, professional level football player. I think he played for like the XFL or the Canadian football league, but he was beating everybody with high level judo from the feet in the highest levels right. of competition. And it was just such a beautiful thing to watch. If you have a chance, I, I can't remember his name, but he was from Tennessee. It stuck out in my mind, but uh, I'm sure I could Google search him. <laughs> so let, let me get back into this with you. So you're coming up, you've, you get, you become a judo black belt. When did you get your black belt? I got my black belt last December. Um, so I had to make a decision, right? Like for judo, um, I took a break in high school. And I think at the time I was a, a brown belt. And then, yes, I was a brown belt. I took a break to play ice hockey and softball. And then in college, my first half of freshman year, you know, I was very busy getting used to living on my own for the first time. Um, taking classes there. I went to Bentley University, which isn't far from where I live, but mm-hmm. about an hour. Great and school. great school. Halfway through my freshman year, I just felt something was missing. Um, and it could have been the fact that it was the first time I wasn't playing a sport, you know, um, but something just felt missing. I didn't feel at home there and I wasn't allowed to have a car on campus. And the only way I could get a car was to get a job and have a valid reason. So I was like, yeah, I think I missed judo as weird as it was because I was so used to it my whole life. 
Yeah. And I was embarrassed to admit it to my family because <laughs> it was <laughs> always there. And I just like, you know, when you're a kid, you don't take things, uh, you take it for granted a little bit. You don't understand the value that you have. So, and I was immature in that way. And I remember telling my dad, like, I think I miss judo and I want to teach. So I went back to the dojo. I started teaching. I started training. I started going to camps and competing. And I just felt like myself again. And after like my freshman and sophomore year, I was very consistent going everywhere to train and compete. Um, I was given an opportunity to study in Europe. So I had to make a decision. I knew I was five months away from getting my black belt. My dad told me, you know, December this year, you'll get it. But I decided to go over to Europe because it was a once in a lifetime chance. And I knew I could come back and do judo. I always mm -hmm. had that option. So once I came back is when I, I finally put in the time. It took me a lot longer because I took that break and my dad's really hard on me. But um, I ended up getting it last year from teaching and consistency and all of that. Um, but yeah, I earned it last year, last December is when I got it. That's fantastic. I mean, such an amazing accomplishment and really shows you to do something hard over a long period of time. And I can only imagine you know doing it uh, under your father, you got no special, no special treatment. No, <laughs> people would, you would think I would, cause that's, that's how it goes for a lot of sports. Like, oh, my dad's a coach. So I get to play all the time. That's yeah. not how it is in judo. It's no, you're going to earn this. And everyone's going to know that you're yeah. a black belt. You know, you walk into a room and people know. Absolutely. So. Well, you know, like I mentioned, I, I work in a family business. Uh, I run two businesses, mm -hmm. real estate business with my father and a, a women's apparel business with my sister and in a mm -hmm. business. And you'd think like when you're in a family business that, oh, everything just gets handed to you and you, you know, oh, you just got the position or the promotion. But when you're in a family business, if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. There is no business. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> it, must, it must be a similar thing with, with judo when you have teammates and world-class Olympians surrounding you and the highest level people coming through your dojo and you're not going to get a single thing handed to you. You know, you're going to have to earn no. it harder than everybody else. And so I, no. I would imagine that must be your experience. I just, you know, knowing what I know about. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And, and I didn't even want to go to the Olympics myself or compete at that level. It just, I just knew it wasn't in the cards for me. It wasn't my passion, but I wanted to surround myself with people like that. You know, I wanted to be around them, not because I wanted to do the same things they did, but for the values that they have, you know, the lifestyle that they live. That is so valuable to me and to adapt to and to be around and to hang out with. Like, it really is important, you know, the people you surround yourself with. It challenges you and it, it pushes you in the right direction, even if it's not the exact same thing. Um, yeah. It's the principles. Absolutely. Well, your dad set me up with Travis Stevens, who is a contributor on our, on the podcast and to the book. And he mm -hmm. said something that'll stick with me forever. And he said something to the effect of not a perfect quote. He goes, I don't even know anybody who would expect me to be out with them partying on a Friday or Saturday night. And I was like, no, wow. that's a hundred percent true. That's a hundred. I know that I know Travis very well, but yeah. I know that. And I know that everyone around him knows that it's a hundred percent valid statement. <laughs> it's amazing. And I was telling him like my, almost like my alter ego is martial arts. 
none, none of mm -hmm. my friends or family really understand what it is that I do or why I love it so much, why I'm so addicted. Uh, part of writing this book and doing this podcast was to surround myself in more, a more bigger part of my life in martial arts outside of just the training that I do every single night. Because I wanted to, I wanted to talk to people about it. You know, I wanted to meet people who really cared about it. And I've traveled all over the world training jujitsu everywhere. I go for work and business. I always bring my gear, I bring my gi, I bring my rash guard and I go train and I meet and I talk, but it's really kind of limited to just training in the mat. And so yep. I started mat time. About, yeah, mat chat. <laughs> I started thinking about the yep. writing this book. I was, it was, it meant so much more to me. And now I've met so many amazing people like you and your dad, Travis, and uh, and a, a, just a laundry list now of people who are either were on the show or going to be on the podcast. And I love hearing what you just said, which is you know surrounding yourself with people who feel this way and understand this lifestyle. Um, mm -hmm. I try to tell people about it, and they look at me; they just don't get it. Um, Glaze over, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you have a Did you have a lot of friends in college that it was a like a foreign concept to them that you did this? Yeah, and, and especially, you know, when I started doing judo again and competing, like everyone would go out and, why well, are you staying in again? And it's like, because like, you know, I have other things that I'm involved in. They don't understand. I think a struggle too with judo is most people don't know what it is. So it's like, not only am I choosing to live my life a certain way, they don't even understand what the thing is that I do. And yeah. it was just, it's almost isolating in a way. Um, I didn't mind it because I had a whole community. I had a family who's involved in it, whatever. But yeah. it is a little bit of an obstacle, you know, in social settings and especially at, at school, living on campus, it's, it's different. You know, and people don't understand, nor do they even have a clue about what you're talking about or training for or teaching or doing, you know, it's funny. Yeah. Did, um, was, did Bentley have a judo program of any kind? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> is, is Bentley the school it's, that has yeah. a trading floor in the business school? Uh, yes, a trading room. Yes. Yeah. yeah. A new, yeah. trading room. Right, right. Yeah. I remember when I, yeah. I went to Northeastern in Boston. And when I was looking at schools, I knew I wanted to be in Boston. And so I was looking at Northeastern and Bentley and Babson. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that was, yeah. But um, yeah. anywho, yeah, it's, it just, I, I find it, I find this when people kind of turn to, I didn't find martial arts until after college when I was 24. Oh, yeah. So I was right around the age that you are now. And that's when I began my journey. Mm -hmm. I was looking wow. to I was filling a void from growing up playing sports my whole life. I played lacrosse. I was a competitive ski racer. Uh, and I was, mm -hmm. uh, and then I played like soccer and football and like all throughout my life, all different sports, but always playing a sport. And when I graduated from college, that was over. And right. I, what do I do now? And that's how mm -hmm. I just, when I ran into a family friend who is, uh, had opened a jujitsu jiu gym by my office. And he's like, oh, you should come down. And that was it. I just I went down and just walked in and fell in love with it. Began. The love story began. <laughs> so what, yeah. what kind of things are you doing with uh, Fuji Sports? So I work in the custom department. So any gym owner um, who wants to design gear for their school, so they want to design their geese, their rash guards, their spats, you know, build mm -hmm. their brand identity. I help them do that. So I'm their first and only point of contact. Um, so any school owner who's looking to do that, they'll reach out to Fuji, 
we'll create a design for them. Um, they'll put in an order for their entire school. And then I take care of everything from there and get them their stuff. So yeah. Yeah. we were only, I showed your dad, my original Fuji gear. We were only permitted to wear Fuji 11 years ago at the founding of our school. And, uh, mm -hmm. a swarm special place in my heart for Fuji many, many, many years ago. But, uh, so is that something that, that was taking up full time for you or you? That's what I do. Yeah. So I do that full time. Um, I was teaching, you know, my parent and toddler judo program before then I had already started that. Um, but the schedule is just, I had so much extra time after graduation mm -hmm. that I needed another job too. And I was trying to find something, you know, in the industry, something that fit my interest, something that would complement my parent and toddler judo program. Cause I can design all my own gear too, and yeah. do all of those nice things for it. Um, and it's very flexible. You know, I work from home, it's all remote so I can go teach a class, go work, you know, work in between classes, whatever I need to do. So it's just like a perfect combination for me. Yeah. So you have, let's like kind of go through some of the things you do. You, you have a parent toddler program and that was the first program that you were really running in, at school, but that wasn't a separate business. Those were classes at Pedro Judo Center. Is that right? Yeah. So yes, but we had never offered anything under five years old. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a new concept that we had to, you know, figure out Well, I had to figure out, but, um, yeah, that was a, a new concept at the school. And that's something that is under Pedro's judo center. Correct. Yeah. And, but this new business that you're starting, and I'm just going to share my screen for a second on your Instagram is called the crawl program. And is someone who has a, a two-year-old and is always looking for mm -hmm. things for them to do for toddlers, uh, kind of just walk me through what this is, who it's, who it's for, why you thought that this was a new niche and, you know, sure. kind of what, what you've been doing to get it started. Yeah. So when I started the parent and toddler judo program, it was, it was from scratch and I thought about why I wanted to do something like that. And I had taught classes at the dojo before for the older kids. And it was always, you know, why are you coming to judo? Because most of the time, it's not just for the sport. They don't even know what the heck judo is. They're just walking into a gym and saying, I need my kid to do something, right? And whether it's because they're getting bullied, whether it's because um, they need more physical exercise or they want to put them in a positive community, build confidence, any of those reasons is why parents would bring their kids most of the time, 99% of the time to the dojo. And I thought about that as, an older kid, you know, 10 years old, maybe super shy, gets bullied at school. And it seemed like such a, a reactive thing to do. And, you know, I thought about the youngest you could hit a kid and be preventative for those things, right? Like, how can I look at it as a preventative sport? And I'm like, you just have to target the youngest of the youngest and have them build confidence, do all these crazy things that you think, you know, you can really only teach somebody who understands the concepts fully. Why can't I make it so simple and get them into the habit of doing these things, get them into the habit of, you know, introducing themselves. And it sounds silly, but I have three-year-olds that introduce themselves to the dojo every time they come in, you Doesn't know, sound and silly to me. It sounds perfect. <laughs> Yeah. I know. I just, I think like seeing a little two-year-old walk in, like Google Baga, <laughs> but Konich bows and says Konichiwa. It's like, this is something really special, you know? Um, so I thought about like, what are the exercises and skills and all the things that I can do 
with a toddler. And I took a, a lot of psych classes, child psych classes at school. And mm -hmm. I was always, you know, involved in like uh, kid communities and boys and girls clubs. And I just like loved working with kids and could connect with kids. So I built this whole curriculum that was really trial and error for the first year um, with the students. And it just caught on, everyone loved it. You know, people kept coming back and giving me feedback and um, advice and yeah. gave me, you know, would fill out surveys and I'd figure out ways to improve it. And it got to a place where I had so many students that I didn't have enough time slots. I didn't have enough space. I didn't have enough staff and I wanted to expand. And, you know, I had to figure out, you know, like what, why am I doing this and how can I get other school owners to be able to share this? It's just in my head. I wanted to put it on paper and allow other schools to, you know, one, bring in revenue for their school, but also touch on those toddler, the two to four year old um, demographic and have them be able to participate. And the reason why we never had judo for under four years old was because of next ability and you're technically not allowed to be doing um, partner on partner judo because you know you can't take a fall as a two-year-old with no next ability. So I had to think of a way for them to do the movements but not on each other. And mm. that's where I brought in teddy bears and <laughs> I had all the kids literally throwing teddy bears and practicing the movements on little teddy bears. And wow. it just caught on and the kids, it, I think it was comfortable because they were with, you know, a soft little bear, but also like it worked. So the crawl program started um, this whole concept of expanding and I want to eventually sell the curriculum to other schools so that they can launch this program in the past like eight months during COVID. Um, yeah. And a big thing for me was I had to change the whole program because of COVID. You know, yeah. we had like 25 kids on the mat or 25 people on the mat, 12 kids, 12 parents, you know, it was very busy on Sundays. There were six classes, but COVID hit and I was like, what am I gonna do? <laughs> everyone is like all over everyone. You know how toddlers are. They're running around rampant sometimes and you can't like social distance. It's very hard. Yeah. So we had to restructure the whole program and it ended up working out where I could create the program without any investment needed for equipment, for any of these things. And I was like, this is just the perfect solution for people who want to open a program. They don't have to invest in the rope that we have, the box jumps, the ladders, the every, all the equipment that I use that we had available yeah. is no longer needed for the curriculum that I wrote for COVID. So it kind of like pushed me in that direction to have something that's not you don't have to spend three grand to get it and you can start it and i can teach you how to do this at your school and help kids build those skills from the earliest age that they can even speak yeah. um and it, it's going great and it, that's something that like i'm gonna take the time and continue to grow i have a partner now who came on with me um is actually travis steven's wife um she oh. started on with me so she's a you know she's a Canadian judo uh, yep. Olympian? Yeah. Yep. She's a Canadian judo Olympian, two-time Olympian, um, black belt. She just loved the concept. You know, she wants to start a family herself and we're growing it right now, figuring out all the, you know, the logos, everything we're going to use for this and finalize everything before we are able to, to sell it to other schools. But so did I hear you say that you had six, you had gotten this up to six classes on a Sunday? 
when COVID. Yeah, we had, I had six classes back to back before oh COVID with like 10 to 12 kids per class. It was a zoo, but it was so fun. Um, I was there every Sunday, all morning and afternoon. And it was, that was my weekend thing to do. Um, okay. It's a lot of work, but it was great. It was awesome. It's, um, first of all, it's, well, I have so many things to unpack from that little segment because you organically started something, grew it, made it incredibly successful by anybody's standards. To have even one class of toddlers is very difficult, you know, for most mm -hmm. martial arts academies to, to, to get that many students. And so it speaks volume to the, the quality of what you were offering and the word of mouth. And uh, there's so many good business lessons to, un to unpack there about how you were able to do that. And uh, so much of what business is, is giving a great service at a good price, making people mm -hmm. happy, giving them a clean environment, a good experience for their kids. Uh, it reminds me of my, my, my best friend's wife started, she was a speech pathologist and she started a program for the similar age kids called Look Who's Talking Now. And it's to teach them how to start speaking around the same age. And it also kind of took off like this, like wildfire. And it's just right. when you have, you know, people like yourself who are talented and hardworking and you have all this life experience and schooling, but then you actually take that risk and you start that business. Do you remember the first class? Like when you, how many, how many students were in the first class? I think there were seven or eight um, in my first class ever. And I don't know. I don't remember like the parents are on the mat with the kid too, by the way. So it's, yeah. it's a, just like a, a fun environment. And it was so new, but I, I had taught so many classes before that, that I just, you know, went at it. And it was more of just connecting with the kids, just having them feel comfortable and, and having the parents feel like they're involved and which they are. It just, I don't know. It, I remember the first class. I remember being a little nervous at first because I didn't know how a two-year-old was going to react. I, it's like a gamble. You have no clue if they're going to just cry or and run out the door, which has happened, <laughs> or if they're going to, you know, actually be able to do the exercises too, right? Like I had never tried the exercises on a toddler except for one cousin that I had that yeah. I had run through a class with. So it was it felt like an experiment, but it, it sure. went okay. So so much of business is that, and I could attest to two-year-olds that it's hard to keep their attention for even a minute or two. Yeah. Uh, so that's great that you had the parents. Yeah. Were, were many of these parents, or any of the parents, students of the academy? Mm, I don't think so. I really wow. don't think so. For my first session, Yeah. maybe one, maybe. Um, I didn't really... We already had, you know, a dojo community to send out emails to about this new program, but I just went all over Facebook, to be honest. Yeah. I just posted in like all of the community groups that were around that area. I made a, a landing page on our website and put in all of the things that I wanted to accomplish through the program with the kids and just would share and share and share on Facebook. And that's how I got signups. And I didn't have to invest a ton of money into marketing or any of that to start off. I didn't know how it was gonna go. So I tried to do as much as I could with um, as little money and resources that I had to use. And that's how I got the first couple of signups. Um, yeah. And then it was word of mouth. 
any bumps, any false starts, any no one showed up for a class this day? No, that never happened. Um, it never happened where no one showed up or anything like that. Um, I'm trying to think. So I used to um, I used to organize the classes. Like everything is very quick, right? Like I have to move from one thing to the next and always be engaged and ready to go with the kids because their attention span is so small. Um, one of the maybe like road bumps I had was I was trying to figure out how to make things go smoothly with kids running around and like trying to assign them stations and all this stuff at the same time. And I had sent out a survey to the parents because I was kind of stressing out about making sure the class was a good experience for everyone. And one of the greatest like feedback that I got from a parent was so simple, but it changed like the way class went. And it just takes that like reaching out to people and asking like, how can I make this better for you and make this not like as least chaotic as it can be yeah. for a toddler. And one of the parents hit me back and said, honestly, the only thing that I could say that would help tremendously is just numbering all of the places to go. One, two, three, four, five six, to 12. Yeah. And it would be great. We could just all funnel through the stations by number. I did that and it completely <laughs> changed the flow of class. The kids were like psyched to have a number, like the simplest <laughs> things that you can't think of on your own sometimes. Like yeah. it's just, it's really cool having involved parents too, who, yeah. you know, care about the program and see what it does for their kids. So they want to share and they want to give feedback. And I love when people criticize and give me that. Cause I'm like, this is perfect to make it better, you know? Well, you had the courage to ask, you know, a lot of people, they, yeah. they don't want to ask. They just want to try to ram their way of thinking down people's throats. And instead of right. you know, asking for help and asking for feedback to keep honing and making better, that's, uh, that's one of the keys to business success is, is, is listening more 100%. than you. Mm -hmm. so as, as a business leader, I always have to find that healthy balance to make sure I'm hearing what people are telling me versus just trying to sell them what I'm what I'm thinking. <laughs> right. The willingness to listen for sure. And be open to criticism. You have to be open to it, you know, and not take it personally, mm -hmm. you know, take it as like, this is an actual tool that I can use to make it so much better for people. Like it, it matters how people feel on the other side, your consumer, right? Your customer, like that's what's important. I don't care about how I feel, but what I'm doing when it comes to those like nitty gritty details, yeah. You know, if I, if I can't think of things off the top of my head, sometimes I have to ask people like, what would make this better for you? And yeah. then take that and make sure it aligns with my mission, but take that and then use it in my class, you know? Yeah. So absolutely. it has so, nothing to do with judo either. Now post post COVID are the, are the classes back up and running? Yeah. So I have classes up and running right now. Um, it's all social distance. So they're with the parent. Our mats are actually um, checkered. Mm -hmm. So we have like blue square, white square, blue square. So I have the parents like on their own squares. They come in one by one. We have screenings at the beginning and end of class and stuff. So it's going well. We've just had to shrink the sizes. I can only run four classes back to back with the, we have to clean the mats in between and mm -hmm. um, all the, all the cleaning takes a lot of time. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're back and running. I started again in August. Good. And how about the, the the kind of phase two of getting this into the hands of some other academies, selling it to them? The so, yeah, it's a matter of I have to film. Mm -hmm. um, I have to finish the filming. So I have the curriculum um, 
written down, but I have to actually teach how to teach the curriculum, right? So demonstrating the techniques, the proper way to teach it to a two-year-old, you know, is much different than you would teach a six-year-old or an adult. Um, so it's it's getting down the level of a, of a child and having them feel comfortable and doing some, something that they're able to do. That's not just overwhelming, but making it fun too yeah. is, is key for judo. Yeah. You have to make is it Is something fun. you're filming for judo fanatics or maybe just for your own site or YouTube? We don't know yet. We're still we're still in the works. I'm, I'm working with Travis and Kalita yeah. and my dad on this. So um, we're going to figure out what the best way to get it to the masses is. But um, the first things first is to film. <laughs> well, I'm just so impressed with everything that you've done so far. I love new business creation. This is exactly what my book is going to be about, uh, targeting people probably you right before you kicked off this, you know, this new business and people, I, I, especially people who are at high levels of martial arts, because what happened mm -hmm. over the years in my dojo is someone, they knew I was an entrepreneur and they wanted to start a business. So they would come to me and say, I've got this great idea. And they would, they would, they wouldn't even, they weren't even white belts yet. They hadn't even started the journey, but they mm. already wanted to be black belt. And I said, right. give them a very simple metaphor of this is going to take you time. You don't get your black belt in a day. You're, this is going to be right. years of struggling, of hitting the mat, of pain, of not wanting to walk mm -hmm. in, of not wanting to train. Maybe you even fall off for a little bit and like you have to come back. And so when I see someone like you who's recently out of school and you've been surrounded, you've had all this good training, all this good schooling, but then you're putting it into practice, it's so inspiring. Mm -hmm. So I, I really commend you and uh, an exciting conversation. And uh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't also, you know, give you a shout out as, as a woman entrepreneur because women entrepreneurship is at much lower levels than male entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And through your entire life, as you've just told us, you never let that, you know, being with the boys stop you. You just, you just did it. At my fashion company, right. we have about 225 employees and only four or five of them are men. And I'm constantly trying to promote female entrepreneurship and business creation and that, you know, the women can a hundred percent do anything that guys do inside of these, you know, inside of these businesses. So it's, it's really mm -hmm. great to see. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me too. And yeah. this is cool. I've never done this before. It's cool. Yeah. I could see this. Uh, you, you should start a podcast for, um, for your for your new business, I think that there'd probably be a lot of gym owners out there that would love to talk to you and figure out a way for them to add a class like this because, you know, our industry is hurting bad, and mm -hmm. it is going to be forever changed. My heart is breaking for all of the gym owners and martial artists out there who haven't been able to train, haven't been able to pay rent, and they're like trying to figure. They're doing what do I do now? You know what? Do, and so I, I can imagine that having five or six or even three toddler classes in addition to their kids program and maybe their teens program, maybe the, maybe the juice that they need. So it's very timely. Exactly. That's what, that's what, uh, yeah. I think that's what sparked this, you know, really got it going to as yeah. weird as it sounds. Well, I hope that you'll come back on the podcast again in a couple months, maybe give us an update on the business and uh, if I have any questions. I hope you don't mind if I reach out to you cause I'm going to be I, I suspect this is probably going to take me a good two years to to write. My last book took about mm -hmm. two years and I, I got started before COVID, but then I had my own, it, I stopped for three months and I lost all my momentum. So now I got, I'm picking it back up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's awesome. I'm, I'm excited to read it. And what's your other book that you wrote? It's called, this is it here. It's called This Is It. And it's a book about my first 10 years in business working alongside my dad. And it's all about the core values and the mindset. And then most importantly, a lot of our failures. Uh, you know, I've been blessed with a lot of business success and growing businesses. And it all comes at the heels of a lot of failures. And I talk about openly about those failures in the book and my missteps and my miscalculations and that's just a part of being in business. If, if you if you close up shop and walk away at the first sign of trouble, then you didn't really want it in the first place. Uh, and like you said, I've had stretches where it's been a year of no progress or an easy mm -hmm. change. We could have fixed something so easily and it just didn't occur to us. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, it was a pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on your new business. I'm so excited to watch the journey. I followed you on uh, Instagram so I can get all the updates. And <laughs> feel free to stay in touch if there's anything that you need from me, if I could be of service to you in real estate or fashion or anything else, you can reach out to me at any time. And, uh, and if I have any questions, I, I absolutely will reach out to you when, I'm, when I begin drafting. Please do. Thank you very much, Jordan.